Up next on Inside the SCCA, Super Tour Radio. Our guest today has been involved in the SCCA for 25 years in everything from MGBs to Honda CRXs and road racing. He's also autocrossed. He's also been one of the voices at Summit Point for the last couple of years. He's also the guy responsible for bringing SCCA races live to the interwebs. He's one of the voices you hear on the Hoosier Super Tour radio broadcasts. And his network, the Performance Motorsports Network, is the production team behind those broadcasts. So join me in welcoming Bob Steele to Inside the SCCA. Good morning, Bob. Morning. How you doing? Well, it is bright and early, or in this case, dark and early out here on the West Coast. Coffee We're, on the East Coast. We both have our cups of joe. We're doing good. How about you? How are you doing? Doing well, my friend. Uh, really excited to get started on the uh, 2022 season. Uh, obviously, Sebring is our first race, as always, and uh, it's a it's a very exciting time. The holidays and getting ready to go racing, yeah, you can't beat it. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of folks over the course of the first 10 episodes or 12 episodes now on the podcast, and, and because you and I are in the same business, you understand this. Uh, my career has been all over the place. I started in Wisconsin. I went to Georgia. I went to New York. I ended up in Virginia. Now I'm in L.A. And because of that, I have been a member of, I think, at my last count, nine SCCA regions. So a lot of the guests I've had so far, just by chance, are people I've known for years. And you and I have known each other for a long time, but we didn't meet through the SCCA. We actually met through radio. And when I started to think about getting back into this crazy radio thing, uh, and I started the Racing Wire radio show 10 years ago. You were one of the first people that believed in what I was trying to do and gave me an opportunity on the Performance Motorsports Network. And uh, back when when radio on the Internet was a new thing, you know? Yeah, people didn't um, didn't quite open themselves up to that, although it certainly has changed now, hasn't it? It has so much so, so much so. Uh, Your story is great because you have this alternative life, just like me, a parallel lives. You've got your racing life and your broadcasting life, and you've brought them together in the center here at the end. And and we've done very similar things. So let's start with let's start with the super tour stuff and talking about radio. Uh, That's how the folks who are going to listen to this know you probably first. Uh, Tell us about. First of all, how did the whole Super Tour radio thing come together? Well, it's kind of funny because we were at uh, my, my team from uh, uh, PMM, Performance Motorsports Network, Mike Wolf, uh, Greg Ginsberg, and I are broadcasting uh, the race call at Summit Point Motorsports Park. This was uh, now six, six, seven years ago. And apparently the cheeses from the SCC, the A, were there for a majors race. And they were talking about the super tour and they said, well, we want somebody like these guys to do the race call. Well, Steve Pence, who was, uh, I think RE or, or one of the, the head stewards at the time said, well, why don't you ask them? They might be interested. And so about Thanksgiving five years ago, I got a call from Taylor Hyatt, who was uh, very active in the DC region of the SCCA. And she says, you need to give Deanna Flanagan a call. Why? Well, she wants somebody to do race call for the super tour series. And I went, 
okay. So I gave her a call and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I think it was Christmas Eve that year, the first year that we finally got the contract signed and all the equipment figured out. And we were in January on the second weekend for the first super tour race. And I am going to tell you something. I have never sweated so much in my entire life is to get that thing rolling. Well, fast forward five, now six seasons later, here we are. And, uh, we've had a a very successful run. Uh, We've had some incredible experiences, great interviews, great racing, and, uh, you know, just had a blast doing it. We've go all over the country, of course, with the super tour and we set up in many cases, two radio stations, broadcast radio stations, uh, three streaming stations, including scca.com front slash live performance motorsports network, uh, stream, and then the PMN two stream and, uh, do the race call and an FM broadcast actually at the track so that the racers and the people in the paddock and, and the stands can get a, a real time race call as well. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. And at the end of the weekend, we go, whoa, wow, <laughs> it all went together. It all came together. There you so, go. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty much in a nutshell how the whole thing came up, came together. So the funny part about that story that you may probably know or may not know is I bid on that same project and you won. So uh, really? I, I did. I did. I must not ask enough. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, uh, I, I always kind of joke at that. It's like, oh, gosh, this is, I, I'm, I'm getting Bob on the show. And, and no, it's all good, though. You guys uh, you guys are, are are zooming along with that. Now it's what, the fifth year coming up or the fourth this year? Will be the sixth year coming up, the actually. Sixth year. The sixth yeah, we've year. We've done uh, four runoffs. We didn't do the runoffs the first and second year. And this is the, uh, the, the will be the sixth season. And last trying to think the last race of last season was the 100th uh super tour race and the 50th individual event that we've covered wow pretty amazing pretty amazing so tell us a little bit about what goes into i'm again maybe this is too much inside baseball but and i'm a geek but tell us about the a process of you know getting your gear to the track getting it all set up what goes into putting on one of these radio broadcasts well, a lot of it is logistics and preparation, Brian. It's, uh, you know, you're only as good, you know, radio and television, you're only as good. Your product is only as good as your preparation is. And no matter how good your talent is or how, if your logistics are off, it's just not going to function. And so typically we, uh, we get in touch with the, the host region, uh, the RE and the, uh, the race director and talk to them about what to expect. Uh, mm-hmm. in advance, probably a month or so in advance. Now we've been doing this with so, for so long and we've been used talking with the same people for so long. It's kind of, everybody knows what's going on now, but it's when we ever go to a new track, it's this process. Then we talk to the technical people at the track because obviously we use infrastructure, internet, uh, Wi-Fi, that sort of thing sure. at the track. We, uh, we've been very lucky because the sports car club of America has a traveling team that goes to each one of those, uh, super tours, uh, first couple of races, we literally had to fly equipment in. Thank you. Southwest, mm-hmm. uh, because Southwest doesn't charge broadcast people for carrying their gear. Little did they know we had three cases at the time. Right. Um, <laughs> so the SCCA now transfer transfer towards the gear from event to event to event. So we get there, we unload, uh, we take a look at what uh, what we're dealing with because each year 
things change. And we have to be able to adapt to those changes. Sometimes the tech guys go, well, hey, I forgot to tell you about that. And mm. we need three or four cables that we didn't need last year. So there's a lot of, um, we carry a lot of gear, but we are able to interface with just about every track situation and knock on vinyl here. Uh, we have never run into a situation we couldn't work around. Right. But uh, uh, then we set the uh, set all the gear up, which is a process in itself, because many cases, the broadcast booth, as you know, like in VIR is three stories up in the air or <laughs> and uh, so our upper body strength gets a lot of workout. So all, all of the guys are all pumped up. But um, we set the set the gear up and do a regional test, meaning does the PA work? You know, right. we've interfaced with the PA guy, Internet work and that sort of thing. At that point, our qualifying team, which uh, is uh, is Mike Wolf and uh, and Chris Switzer this year, uh, are ready to go, and they can start the qualifying. Then our technical guys, uh, 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 Slim Tim, myself, and anybody else that happens to be, we go out and set up two or three trackside locations. Now those are uh, so we can follow the the racing around the track and in real time. Uh, our listeners and hopefully at some point our viewers will get an actual, I guess, spectator eye view of what's going on there on track. Right. Now, we have uh, a tower set up, which is uh, run by Mike Wolf. And then we have two to three individual trackside setups, which uh, myself, Slim Tim and Chris uh, are, uh, are going to be manning this year. Big tracks get three, smaller tracks get two, and uh, those interfaces are all digital. So it sounds, the the vocal quality from the remote site sounds like you and I are talking right now. Sure, sure, sure. And, you know, it's interesting because I am the track announcer at Buttonwillow, and mm -hmm. and I'm the only guy, I am the track announcer. I always, you know, the, the announced team at Buttonwillow is the, 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 the law firm of Brian, Brian, and Brian. And uh, but the, the problem is, as you just stated, you know, I can see probably two thirds of the track from the tower, but there's two sections of the track. I, 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 literally, yeah. I, I literally say, OK, now 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 the cars are going to a place where I can't see them. I'll, I'll let you know what happens when I can see them again. So well, that's where we do the track side. We'll put right. the track side uh, announcers at those positions. Exactly. So uh, we have as most tracks, we're about 95 to 99 percent covered. And with three on the big tracks, Atlanta and, and uh, Button Willow is, is one of those that uh, we should be able to uh, should be able to cover just about every aspect of the track. And that's what our ultimate goal is. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and the, the broadcasts are, are live. They're streamed just about everywhere. Uh, and, and it's been pretty interesting to listen to those throughout the years. And obviously they've, the broadcasts have evolved over time, uh, but you guys have got them pretty buttoned up at this point and, and it sounds just fantastic. Well, we started out with FM transmitters and receivers then we went to a digital system of uh, the ubiquity digital system, which we found was great in the spring and fall when there were no leaves on the trees. But uh, <laughs> like FM, it's line of sight and creates an issue when that happens. So we've started using computer based interfaces with a, a, uh, a platform that uh, we feel is uh, is very stable and it allows us to go through a MiFi in through a cell phone or a MiFi into the Internet 
and then downloaded uh, essentially the same signal at the tower. So it Got gives it. us uh, gives us uh, pretty much studio quality audio yes. most of the most of the time, and uh, that's uh, that's that's the key. I, I think is is actually having good quality audio, good quality race call, and and offering our, our club members and of course the general public a good quality product now one thing that we didn't mention is that each one of these broadcasts per race group is recorded and podcast and then put up on pmn2 for free download so racers can sync their uh, their in-car video to the the race call so that's kind of a that's a feature we offer through performance motorsports network that uh, I think is, you know, we're we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of traction on that. Nice, nice. As you can imagine, yeah. You know, and and it's a lot like going to the racetrack as 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 a race team. You you have to have all the stuff with you when you get there. You know, back in the day when you and I started doing radio, if you were doing a remote broadcast and a cable broke or something, you oh could God. you could run to Radio Shack, even in the smallest of towns. Every little town had a Radio Shack sure. and and you could get a soldering iron or whatever you needed and, and you know, whittle it back together. You know, today there's no more Radio Shacks. You're, you're unfortunately, you know, yeah. <laughs> but Button Willow, VIR, you know, these are racetracks that aren't in major metropolitan areas. So there's no, you know, Sam Ash to run off to to buy a new cable. There's you if you don't have it with you at the racetrack, you just don't have it, right? Right. We carry about nine cases of gear, and the guys are not happy about that. And I said, well, we only need this one wire one time, but if we need it, we've got it. And that's exactly. that's pretty much we we have spares on spares, and that's uh there there have been times when we've actually had to do some dancing and, and, uh, um, they call me the mad scientist with the soldering iron. I've all I need is the white coat and the hair out like go. this and, and that'd be it. Yeah. So when my wife asks me why we have three, as many bins of Christmas decorations as I have of cords that I I've collected <laughs> over the years, I can tell her that there's a reason for it, right? There is a reason for it. And you're, <laughs> you're prepared. Be the boy scout of the, uh, the Eagle scout of the, uh, Christmas decoration, uh, so you slipped a little something in, and I don't know if you're ready to talk about it yet, but you said we do all these broadcasts and, and, and on these different streams, and then you slipped something in kind of under the radar. You said, and maybe video. Is there something we can talk about with that? Um, there's nothing really big to talk about at this particular point okay. in time. We've been looking into video is a very expensive medium. Yes, it One is. One of the things that, uh, that, you know, we've been talking about on social media for years actually has been, how do we incorporate video with the audio stream? And I've, I've looked at it. We've priced it out. It's doable. But the problem is, and this is a problem we've even run into with bandwidth, most tracks, as you know, Button Willow is one of them, do not have a really good, solid infrastructure as far as the Internet goes, and very few have a good, solid structure as far as cellular coverage goes. The way we, the way we interface is cell and Internet. If you don't have the bandwidth, it's it's just a crash and burn. I think you and and I were working on uh, the twenty four hours of Thunderhill one time, and uh, we had we had a great coverage on Thursday when we checked it out. Great coverage on Friday. The teams get there, 
They start uploading pictures and there's nothing. The broadcast just crashed and burned. And obviously we can't have that. Right. So we are looking as equipment develops and as things are, you know, the, obviously you can't run two miles of, of cat five cable or fiber optic cable like the big networks can. So in right. order to keep uh, things in a cost perspective, as in what you have to put out to make it happen, how many more people you have to bring along, because of course, staffing is a, is a huge expense in this right. and the, the actual value uh, you can expect an upgrade from what's been happening in the past this year. You can expect an upgrade from the club. Uh, will we ever get to uh, runoff style coverage of, of the SCCA club racing? I would hope so at some point, but it's not happening this season. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we've, believe me, we, we at the performance motorsports network and the SCCA have been, I would say, reasonably close to doing live stream real-time video, but it is still cost prohibitive and we are looking at it very carefully. I would not be talking off the bus if I didn't say that it is a real possibility in the, in the reasonable future. Sure, sure, sure. So how about that for a dance? There you go. There you go. Well, and just <laughs> to your point, you know, as, as someone who spent most of his career in television and not in radio, you know, I, I've been involved with with broadcast coverage of Super Bowls and Daytona 500s. And and the problem you describe is is not limited to what you're talking about. You know, we sent a crew to Atlanta to do the uh, the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and most television stations have transitioned away from the big satellite trucks to these little tiny backpack units that broadcast the signal back to the station using multiple cell phones. And those things are great if you're in the middle of, of, of a, 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 you know, a car crash scene or doing a live shot at a park during a little event. But, but what we, what, what, and I, and I warned them when we decided to go, I said, you know, these are relying on cell phones. And when you get to the dome in Atlanta on Super Bowl Sunday, it's going to work great right up until Super Bowl Sunday. I probably shouldn't say, the word Super Bowl, that's trademarked. I'm going to get yelled at for that. When you get to the big game on Sunday and you get, you know, 100,000 people there with all of their games trying to take selfies and prove, you know, because if it didn't show up on Instagram, it didn't happen. You know, do you right. take their selfies and show up on show that they're there? These little backpack units are not going to work. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. There's five different signals, all this kind of stuff. And, nope. and I hate to be the guy who said, I told you so, but I was the guy who said, I told you so. We had to scramble to get a signal out. And our reporters weren't even able to go live from the stadium because we couldn't get a signal. So it's the that, same. And that, that, that You're right. That is absolutely critical. Yeah. So it's the same type of thing in a, in a stronger in, in a different level for you guys, because while it's not 100,000 people, they have a lot more infrastructure at a football dome than you do at one of our local racetracks. And it's the same issue and the same struggle. So I completely get that. Uh, it certainly is. Now, when we were when when uh, NASCAR was uh, the Sprint Cup. Of course, Sprint came in and set up uh, massive cell towers and and uh, all all kinds of bandwidth at those tracks. So when we piggybacked in those tracks, like Daytona, for example, Homestead, and uh, and some and and even to a lesser degree, uh, uh, Road America, that infrastructure was there. 
it is no longer there, obviously, not Sprint Cup anymore. So Sprint's pulled their uh, their their infrastructure out. So now we're relying on local cell companies and local ISPs. And again, some tracks are better than others. Some are not good at all. Uh, we were working with the the Southeast Super Truck Series and this uh, a number of years ago, and we rolled up and asked about their internet because we couldn't get a hold of anybody in advance. And they said, oh, yeah, here's the box from AT&T. Oh, boy. DSL, and it hadn't been connected. So we called up the phone company. Oh, you know, that, that, uh, that order went out of, you know, out of date like three months ago. So we had to redo the order. Re, uh, and here I am being a, uh, an IT installer. Exactly. <laughs> for the local phone company. Where would you like your internet drop to be, ma'am? And uh, so we got that all set up and finally, you know, got, got it set up to do the, the live broadcast. But uh, my goodness, it is uh, Willow Springs is a classic example mm -hmm. of that. A great little track. Love the facility, uh, Cal Club facility, but uh, the infrastructure with the internet, not particularly great. And the local infrastructure for the cell phone service, not very great either. Right. Right. It's, it's always a struggle. So it's so. a challenge, you know, we, that we have to, we have no choice, but to make it work. But, uh, in doing that, going back to your logistics question of earlier, you've got to carry everything. You pretty much have to plan on being self-contained and give the, uh, the PA guy, you know, a, a, a connection here, here's right. your XLR fella. And, uh, that's pretty much the way we, we, uh, we operate. So before we take a quick break, uh, any surprises, anything we should look forward to any fun stuff this season you guys have planned? Uh, well, we're break. We've brought in a couple of new guys that we tried out at the runoffs. And, uh, so there's going to be a fresh new approach. Chris Switzer is a uh, in former IndyCar driver, crew chief, and, uh, is a Honda guy too. I'm sure you, you know, Chris and, and provide is going to provide us some really, uh, inside perspective. I'm a driver. Uh, Slim Tim is, uh, is a new guy, but he's done a great job. And of course we've got, uh, Mike Wolf in the booth. And uh, Mike is a is a seasoned broadcast pro and been with us on the Super Tour since the get go. And so uh, I would say probably more information, more facts about the cars, and uh, just a a fun approach to uh, to racing. And I'm, that's what we that's what we provide. What kind of feedback have you gotten from drivers over the years on on how they are able to utilize maybe the broadcast for, you know, having a potential sponsor listen in or obviously friends and family would be in there. But you, what kind of feedback do you get from members? For most of the guys that we talk to, we we uh, we we get a, a very positive response. You know, hey, look, man, it, it we're here doing this because we love doing it. And yeah, of course our team's making a few bucks off of it. And, and we always joke about how do you make a small fortune in racing? You start with a very big one. And so most drivers are in that thing and they appreciate the fact that we are naming them, that we are, are talking about them, that we are having fun with them, that we're, 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 we're giving them some credibility. Whereas if there wasn't that professional race call in the mix, it would be just essentially like regional club racing and nothing wrong with regional club racing, but these guys are stepping up in a national way. And with the sponsors, it gives them credibility. Uh, they can, you know, send a snippet of, uh, our race call mentioning their name and their sponsor. 
it, it's, it's just gives these guys and gals a little bit more in their step upward into the pro ranks. And, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great way for them to have that credibility that, uh, they wouldn't normally get if we weren't there. And, and that's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is, is we're doing that same type of thing, you know, when we bring drivers on and, and, and we're doing it, you know, in addition to club racing, road racing, which you guys cover, you know, we're, we are covering on the podcast, everything from time trials to road rally, to rally cross, to solo two and autocross and pro solo and all the different machinations of the SCCA we're having the opportunity to focus on that every week here and giving an opportunity for people who, who might not get the spotlight to get the spotlight. And I, I love that, that process of this. And it's just, and that's the cool part about doing one podcast a week for the rest of the time in, in humanity, you know, 52 shows never gonna run out of topics. Exactly. 52 shows out of the year. We're never going to run out of guests, never going to run out of topics and it's going to be a lot of fun. So, well, so, we thank you uh, from our standpoint of having us on. And certainly uh, what you are doing is something that uh, we've uh, looked into. And thank you for doing it. You saved me the effort because uh, you're doing a great job, Ryan. Oh, thank you. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Bob is a pretty prolific road racer, 25 years doing it. He's got a really cool project he's working on. We're going to chat about that. Well, we'll do that right after the break and right after the news. This is Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Balanski. Do you do some sim racing to keep your skills up between race weekends? Make sure you check out Ray Esports. Ray Esports is the unofficial sim racing league of the SCCA. They offer three series. During the week, they have races that feature either the Spec Racer Ford, the Mazda MX-5 Cup cars, or the RE2 cars, which are similar to SCCA's FE2 class. There are two races each night, and they are spread out so you can do both races. Then on the weekends, Ray Esports hosts two races. On Saturday, it's the Formula V Weekend Warriors, and on Sunday, the Spec Racer Ford Weekend Warriors. Many of the races are broadcast live on the internet so your friends and family can watch and they are archived so you can go back and watch them after the checkered flag flies to find out how to join the action go to rayesportsracing.com it's friday december 17th 2021 here's this week's news the SECA has announced the session schedule for the 2022 virtual convention it's called SECA connect 2022 the sessions are online January 21st through the 29th. It's open to all members, region leaders, and event leadership. And here's the best part. The National Convention is, again, free to attend. Untapped sessions on risk management, marketing strategies, town halls, and other info sessions. There are also key presentations you won't want to miss. Those include the IMSA and the Future of Motorsports session with IMSA President John Doonan and SCCA Vice President Eric Prill. The Redefining Winning presentation with SCCA Hall of Famer Randy Popst and SCCA Senior Director of Experiential Programs, Hayward Wagner, and the Car Culture versus Car Competitors discussion with Haggerty CEO, McNeil Haggerty, and SCCA President CEO, Mike Cobb. It will be my honor to moderate those three sessions with some of the biggest names in motorsports and the SCCA. You can see the full convention schedule and register at SCCA.com. Beginning Wednesday, December 22nd at 3 p.m. Central Time. Now, that time is key, and I'll tell you why. 
the 2022 Pro Solar Super Pass will go on sale. Here's why it's key. There are only 185 of these limited edition passes available. The price again this year is $99, and there are perks. That's why these are going to sell out fast. Here's what the Super Pass gets you. It gets you a $20 discount on each Pro Solo entry for those holding a Super Pass. That savings applies to regular season Tire Rack Pro Solos, of which there are 10 on the schedule for 2022. Go play at five Pro Solos and you've made your money back. Here's some more stuff you're going to get with that Super Pass. Four free practice start tickets for each Pro Solo, which you register for. Super Pass membership holders will get a special card and a lanyard. Go to SECA.com for all the details. If you would like something in our new segment, send us an email, raceannouncerbrian at gmail.com. That's this week's news. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Inside the SCCA. Our guest, Bob Steele. You probably know him from the Super Tour broadcasts. He has done those for the last five years, going on six years this year doing that. He's also a, a longtime SCCA member, uh, driver, done a lot of that. Started at MGBs. Now he's dealing and racing with Honda CRXs. Let's talk a little bit about all of that. So okay. you, you're a radio guy. And, yep. and, and we know you made a great joke earlier about, you know, what's the difference between a pepperoni pizza and a, and a radio disc jockey? <laughs> the punchline can can uh, feed a family of four. Yes, the pizza can feed a family <laughs> of four. The DJ probably cannot. So that being said, how does a disc jockey find the money to go racing just like everyone else, I guess, right? Robbing 7-Elevens and liquor stores. I, I, no, I'm, I'm only kidding. No, I was very lucky to, uh, in between radio gigs, I had a friend that owned a sports car repair shop in Hyattsville, Tim Mountjoy. And uh, Tim uh, kind of got me started in the SCCA. This goes back way more years than either you or I would like to admit. And uh, he got built. We had a junker MGB float around. He says, well, hey, look, let's go to the University of Maryland Autocross. We'll drink some beer, have some fun and, uh, you know, build the car. So we did. And uh, that car was awful. I mean, we, we, we did uh, the first uh, the first incarnation of what eventually became the 12 hours at the point uh, endurance race. It was a three hour race. And uh, one of our co-drivers at the end of the race said, I'm not getting back in that car. So, uh, needless to say that one hit the scrap heap and we started and built a, built a second car. And, uh, Tim Mountjoy was uh, very successful with that MGB. It was, uh, at the runoffs two or three times. He won multiple mid Atlantic road racing series championships with it and was just a hell of a driver. Well, unfortunately, Tim passed away from colon cancer and the car was sold out of his estate. Uh, I started working at, uh, the Mount Joyce auto shop continued to go. And you know, radio you're in and out of it and in and out of it. And yep. in one of the incarnations of me being out of it, I went back to work at the shop and, uh, John Morrison and I decided we wanted to go racing. Well, the MG was gone, but, uh, we started building a, a triumph GT six and we were buying and selling GT six parts. And quite honestly, I still have it in the garage and it's still not finished. There you go. <laughs> But uh, move fast forwarding um, on beyond that at the uh, at the time I found the MG and it was up for sale and I talked to my lady and I said, uh, um, I, I know we've got the GT six here, but the MGB is up for sale. She goes, we can't afford to race cars. And I said, I know. And then she handed me the checkbook and she says, go buy it. 
So big props to her for doing that. We certainly appreciate it. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. We took the uh, took the car and returned it. It had been brutalized, and we put it back to national specs. Larry Dennis uh, and I and a number of other people down in Fort Lauderdale uh, worked very hard on it. At the time, I was working in the Bahamas at uh, More 94 FM and flying back and forth from Lauderdale to the Bahamas. That's a rough uh, gig, by every, the way. Uh, yeah, we just... There's, hated every minute of that. There's not a lot of perks in working in radio for most people, unless you're at a big, big station, a big market. But uh, working in the Bahamas would be a perk that I probably could get used to. It was one. I'll tell you what, you you don't know what you have here in this country until you work outside of the country and essentially become a native of that uh, particular country. We were in Nassau for two years. And, uh, so anyway, we were, we're commuting back and forth on the weekends, <laughs> working on the car. And then, so we, we make our debut at Homestead and it was not spectacular. <laughs> and then we came back, uh, did some work on it the next week and, uh, went to Sebring, uh, completed the driver's schools and, and, uh, the novice permit and got through and ended up winning the E production race. That's back when B's were in E, right. um, with with a, a a pretty good margin, so we took the stripes off, and the the uh, the racing career began um, at the uh, with the MGB. Yeah, we kept that car going for about five years. We brought it back up from Florida, raced it at Summit Point, up and down the Mid Atlantic, all the way from uh, I guess we were up at Lime Rock for a while, and went all the way down to uh, Homestead a couple of times again. And uh, I had a kid that was working for me goes you gotta you gotta race a honda you gotta race a honda, you gotta race a honda. <laughs> well you know i i said well honda's a economy car it's not a race car no no you gotta race a honda look at this so all of a sudden this little crx appears at my front door here here's the keys here's the car it's yours so where'd you get this don't ask <laughs> okay well we finally figured out it was a friend of his that was uh in financial trouble. So yep. we helped him out a little bit and the, then started working on the CRX. Well, in the meantime, Martin Burke, who is a notable Honda racer on the East coast, uh, called me up and said, Hey, look, um, I've got a CRX, uh, a first gen CRX that needs some work. If you want to drive it, as long as you restore it, you can have it to do. Well, there you go. There you go. So now you have two CRXs. Our CRX, our late Gen 2 CRX project went on mothballs, and we went after the, the Gen 1 CRX. Well, we were pretty successful at that. We won three Mid-Atlantic Road Racing Series back-to-back. -back. We hold the track record in G production <laughs> at uh, New Jersey Motorsports uh, Thunderbolt Circuit and just had a blast. So I'm sitting there one weekend with the Honda up and we're tightening up every bolt like you have to with the MGB. And one of the local Honda guys comes up and goes, what are you doing? I said, maintaining the race car. He goes, Oh no, you don't have to do that. What do you mean? You don't have to do that. He said, I'm going to show you how to maintain your Honda race car. Now this guy was regional champion, divisional champion, bunch of years running and, and, um, and, and here he is, I'm, I'm grasshopper to, to sure. guru. So he sits down in my camp chair. I pull up a tire, sit down with a yellow pad and I am ready. 
<laughs> hooks his hands like behind his head, leans back, and I go, yeah. He says, this is how you maintain your Honda race car at the racetrack. And I looked at him, and I went, oh, oh, there, there isn't much maintenance on a Honda race car. And he goes, nope. I went, yeah. so this crew of eight guys that I have that I'm feeding and paying room and board for and, and buying beer for, not right. necessary. He says, my son back here. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we had spent, I, I mean, with the MG, you have a motor in the trailer, a motor in the car and, and I'm sorry, engine in the trailer, engine in the car and an engine in the machine shop. He tells me that he has one engine and he's been to the runoffs three years yeah. and it never changed out the engine. I went, okay. Economically, yeah. this is a good move. And such began our, our second generation we project with the second uh, GT light car. Yeah. So we started uh, running the Honda CRX and ITB right. back in the 19 early 1990s, I'm guessing. And it it's literally it's a lot like a spec racer Ford as far as the maintenance goes. You know, if you have a, a good build. From right. the start, that's, you know, that's you, critical. Yeah. You start with mm -hmm. a good build. You start with a strong motor engine motor. You start with a strong transmission. Uh, all you have to do literally is change the oil, put on brake pads, put new rubber on when you need it. And you could probably go three or four races on a weekend if you really wanted to on, on tires. And yeah. uh, and I think we did 76 weekends. Wow before we sold the car. And I don't know if the, if the next owner ever did anything with the motor, several wins, lots of podiums. Uh, this is all in the upper, in the Midwest, you know, Midwest council, Milwaukee region, Chicago region, all that kind of stuff. And it's literally, once you get a good build, that's the key, you know, and, and there's no, you don't have to nut and bolt the car, you know, use Loctite when you build the car. <laughs> you know, use, use a couple of places, put some, put some uh, safety wire in a couple of places. And uh, I think we spent more time struggling with changing the belts, the, the seat belts every two years <laughs> than we ever spent working on it. Uh, and the only other thing you would do is, is I think twice we put a timing belt on it and only because we were afraid. I don't well, think it's always, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, I had, uh, I had a timing belt break one time and, and lost, uh, let's see out of the 12 valves, I think about eight of them and right. will hold at least two cylinders. So yeah, yeah. Right. Timing belts are critical in the Hondas, but, uh, with the MG, it was like, we were a dragster, you know, right. uh, a, uh, tear down a, after a, every session, tear down after every session, <laughs> tighten up every bolt, torque, everything, you know, it was, uh, it was a rush to get to. Yeah. you know, the next session to make sure that we had everything gone over, not to say that the car wasn't a good car because it was a, a national car right. had multiple wins, but it was just that you require in order to get in that car and go, okay, the brakes are going to stop me in turn one. And I'm going to be fine by the time turn 10 rolls around. That was pretty much what you had to do with the Honda. You still do those checks, but you're not reassembling and disassembling right. every, every system uh, each time. And, uh, the other, the other thing this gentleman told me, so I'm, I'm talking to him about, you know, because the rule book says you can tilt the motor and relocate the thing. And I'm talking about what to do with the new car. And he goes, uh, Bob, yeah. Are your computers better than Mr. Honda's? <laughs> nope. 
He says, leave it the hell alone. Yep. Yep. So, so, uh, yeah, uh, sage advice. And we certainly appreciate, uh, well, and appreciate I, that. I have found it. And tell me if you found the same thing. There are, there are two types of people in the SCCA, two types of club racers. There are the types of club racers who really want to spend hours and hours and hours tinkering with their car in the garage between races. And then there are the people who want to just show up on Saturday strap into a race car, drive all weekend, go home, never take it out of the trailer and then show up at the next race weekend, you know, and I'd like to think I'm somewhere in the middle there, but yeah, you're, you're there. That's a, that's a pretty fair assessment. So the Hondas and, and, and the, you know, spec racer Fords and the B spec cars, those are for the people that like to roll the car on the trailer on Sunday, roll it back off the trailer a month later at the next racetrack and never do anything in the middle your MGBs, some of your formula cars, you know, some of your other British race cars. Those are the cars for the tinkerers. Yes. And, and it's fun to do that. I mean, if you're, if you're a gearhead and you like working on things, it, that's, they're, they're great cars, but don't try to build one from scratch, buy somebody else's and then re-tinker. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, absolutely. It, uh, it is uh, absolutely the, the way to do it. And, and, you know, the fun thing about it is when, you talk to an SCCA racer about their car, they will tell you everything you need to know to get as competitive as they are. And then they will tell you wrong stuff. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Go buy that. Yeah. No. So you, what I used to do is I would uh, take my notepad and, and talk to guys about a topic. You know, what do you think about exhaust system, big tubes, little tubes, you know, da, 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 what kind of mufflers. And I would talk if any three racers agreed to one point, it was a fact. There you go. If two did, it was an opinion. And if one person suggested it, write it down and then figure it out for yourself. And I found particularly with the MG, because there has a storied history of racers, everybody from group 44, the Hoffaker to, you know, to every, uh, uh, standalone team in between, there's a million ways to do everything on an MGB with a Honda. Pretty much you open the catalog, buy the part, put it in, align it correctly and, and boom. So, you know, it, it's the, the learning curve on the car is not as steep as, as certainly the MGB. I learned out to be pretty darn good British car engineer. <laughs> yeah. Funny story about the, the Honda. When we, when we built ours, they, we had uh, adjustable shocks mm-hmm. and there were five shock settings oh, and, boy. and, uh, and we were like, Oh, you know, we'll, we can, we can tune this thing in. <laughs> I don't think we ever, change the shock setting we randomly picked the middle setting on the first race weekend and i maybe we changed it once or twice and then we're like no put it right and and then 74 races later the shocks had never been adjusted again you know so it it it, it's a pretty simple car to to work with and and that's what's fun about it for a lot of people so but now you've gone tinkering mode again Yes. With a Honda, this is what's intrigued because because when you sent me your info before this, uh, I, I saw that and I was as I was reading it, I read it quickly and I and I was going to say that you were racing an, an Acura Integra. And then you 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 stopped me in the pre-show and said, well, no, you, you didn't finish the sentence. Tell us what you're doing with the Honda and, and the and the and the Acura. Well, it. It's interesting. If you look at the, uh, the lines of, on the rules and the production car specs and the, uh, uh, the SCCA rule book, you have a number of different power plants, Honda power plants that fit in a number of different cars. 
And the idea is to find the best combination right. of power plants. In the uh, B1800C series, there are two motors. One is a long stroke, which is a couple of millimeters longer, and then there's a short stroke. And it's pretty much, a, both of them are square motors. The bore and stroke are very similar. Um, the Acura Integra R, which is the B1C5 engine, was built with an incredible, but each one of those, those engines were hand-built with Honda technicians. And the valve train has been compared to that with a, of the Honda uh, Formula One cars. Wow. Uh, yeah, light valves, big big valves. It, it's just a very, very, very competitive head off off the shelf. The lower end of the uh, the the Type R motors, they already have the reinforcements. They've got windage trays. They've got uh, just incredible. The car was built, or, or the engine was built to just incredible specs that you could almost bolt a stock engine in a race car and be competitive. Right. Right. Now, of course the, now we look at, at other things. Um, can you swap parts from the generations to generations? And, uh, one of our fellow GT light racers got in trouble a season or so ago for doing that. It doesn't say you can't, but it doesn't say you can, but it doesn't say you can. Right. And, uh, so, uh, somebody threw paper on him and, uh, the, the club said, Oh no, you can't put that head on that block or use that block with that. You know, it just, so the generation, the, what we can use the, the, uh, most people are going with the, in GT light, which is the class I run in a Hondas. Most people are going with the B 1800 series, which is a dual overhead cam, uh, variable timing, uh, variable valve timing, uh, very nice bulletproof engine. And quite honestly, the drag racers have done all the development for us. You can just literally buy pistons and, and, and valves and everything right off the internet and take it to the machine shop, bolt it together right. and, and have a really pretty much bulletproof motor. Those guys are getting six or 800 horsepower out of one. You know, if you get GT light form, you're looking at 175 to 180, no problem at all. And right. it'll be you know, it'll be as reliable as the day is long. Well, and, and, and you kind of alluded to it, you know, all the power in a Honda is made in the, in the head. Absolutely. You know, if, if you have a well-built lower end and you change the oil every two or three weekends, that will last you probably longer than you will be alive is a racer and uh and 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 all of the power is made in the heads that's why we were always so so diligent probably overly diligent with changing the timing belt because you don't if you get a good head you don't want to mess it up <laughs> and it's not cheap i mean compared to an mg it's cheap i mean right. and, uh, you know you'll spend two or three thousand dollars on the head of an mgb uh and then you still have to buy valve train you know uh, but with, a uh, with a Honda, you know, the, you can get the development work again, the development works already done, uh, from the drag racing standpoint, most of that is transferable to the road course guys. You just have to find a reliable in uh, machine shop, have it done and you're, you're ready to rock and roll. And that's, that's one of the attractions first off with Hondas and, uh, uh God forbid I say this, but Miatas and mm -hmm. some of the other um, cars that are, are based on production-based cars, 
that have had so much development done to them that you can pretty much buy things over the counter. Whereas with the MG, you have a lot of specific custom parts that you have to buy from various jobbers around the country. Right. And, and it gets, uh, it's difficult to know what to buy with the Hondas. It's very easy. You, you've got all of this body of work behind you. Uh, not to mention the force of Honda and, and Mugen and King Motorsport right. and all of those guys, uh, that have been road racing for years, uh, to, to have the, you know, their data as well, or whatever you can glean from them. Right. Uh, right. When I, engineers. Yeah. When I bought my civic donor car, it was the only Honda I had ever seen with, a uh, a, a, um, a rod through the block. I've never seen it before. And, but the head was in okay shape. So, uh, what I did was I went to a junkyard, grabbed the lower end, put that in with nothing done to it other than change the oil and the seals. And then I sent the head off to one of the places that you mentioned to, 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 I think it was South, Southern, whatever down in Atlanta and had them do the head on it. And that car without anything else done was pretty much up to speed out of the box. The driver needed some, some mental help, but, uh, but the car itself, cause I thought maybe I needed to do work with the car. I put one of the hot shoes in Atlanta in the car. <laughs> Don't do that. If you have an ego, by the way, never put a fast driver in your car. If you have an ego, <laughs> uh, because uh, he, he proved in three laps that it was a driver issue and not an, a car issue. So, <laughs> But but that was as simple as it was, you know, get the head done properly and have a lower end that was basically, well, it was bone stock and the cars will go for a long, long time. So, yep. all right. So yep. we're getting up on the clock here, Bob. Let's real quick. What's the project? How far along are you are dropping the Acura motor into the GT light car? Well, the GT light car is all fab. All the fab work is done. The, uh, the engine is about to uh, go into the machine shop. And, uh, our big hangup right now is body work. I'm very particular about how the car looks. And I really like the old school IMSA big square fendered look. Uh, I'm not a tuner guy, even though I'm driving a tuner car. Right. And, um, I also find that my years of building surfboards don't really translate into fiberglass work for race cars. <laughs> so it, it has been honestly the the big we've been working on the car for some time but the big hang up is getting the body work the way i want it and uh to look correct because you know there's nothing worse than have this big ramp up and build and your car runs great but looks like something out of a <laughs> clown factory and uh so so you know we're, we we're, we've come real close to just buying some fender flares and throwing the thing on, on the track there you go. but there uh, you go. I, I hopefully we'll get that squared away over the winter and have have her ready by march and looking forward to uh, getting out on the track again and just having some fun sounds good sounds good any other points we want to touch on on the super tour radio before we wrap this thing up because that's why we really started talking we got we went off on a tangent talking and about race did. cars surprise 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 and know. we haven't talked about radio yet either so that's a there's another there's another show here in, that's in the a whole other podcast <laughs> so uh but anything any other i think you mentioned there was another topic you wanted to, to, to touch yeah, on absolutely. on the radio side and it's uh it, it's it's about how to get a hold of this information and how to how to hear us. First off, you can go to scca.com front slash live every race weekend. You'll get the qualifying, you'll get the the full tilt boogie race call, and and that's it. You could also go to the Performance Motorsports Network, and uh, you can get a free phone app off of all Google and Apple stores and all of that for that. 
So you can, or you can listen on our Facebook page and on our uh, on our website. It's uh, Performance Motorsports with an S Network.com. You can also go to PMN2. That's short for Performance Motorsports Network. We stole the ESPN2 idea. PMN2 is our audio video platform, and you can hear select races there as well. But what's cool about that is that you could just go to the race uh, drop down and you will get a download of the individual race group from Saturday and Sunday or Friday, Saturday, whatever track you're at. And uh, you can download those for free. It is start to finish from the from the call to the grid to the uh, to the race rundown all there. And you can use that uh, to listen. You can see uh, who's who's doing who or you can use it to sync with your in car. And that's uh, that's free. And that's from PMN two dot com as well. And that's usually takes about a week to get all those edited together and put out. So, uh, you know, don't plan on on Monday morning going, where's the podcast? Sure. It'll be there. it'll be sure. there. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. So if you're driving, don't like, you know, crash your car trying to write that stuff down or or, <laughs> no. or you know, just uh, just take a take a deep breath. All those links uh, and all those websites will be in the show notes for you. We'll make it nice and easy. So and uh, write it down on the dust on your dashboard. Yeah, exactly. Who has dust? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> so. Somebody that doesn't have dust on their dashboard is a sick human being. Exactly. Exactly. So, Bob, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. I, I look forward to, to Sebring and turning in on the broadcast and uh, and listen to what you guys ha- have come in this year. And and then I also look forward to finding this GT lights car on the racetrack and, and seeing it circulate. I love the idea of the old school, big fendered IMSA car. So that should be fun. Well, we also do the old school paint theme and uh, with the little uh, bumblebee stripe over the back of it. So it's, you know, it's definitely a tribute to the old school race cars. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's going to do it for this episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's a bad one, go leave it on someone else's podcast page. You can follow us on social media uh, to find out who our next guest is and leave a question. That's Twitter. It's at RacingWireNet. We do a new Inside the SEC every week. Have yourself a great week and go play with cars. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.